Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. Every company has a story to tell, from the small startup to the large enterprise, and everything in between. This is one of them. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Marco. Sean. Did you see that big thing uh, floating down the river the other day? The big thing floating down the river? Uh, yeah. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it the it log? was the log, 4J. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was a while back. It was a while back. It was a it's while a, back. It's a memory. It just uh, tricked it's in my memory. mind. I think uh, as soon as that that uh, term came out, uh, some people shivered as they're listening. To <laughs> not, not necessarily a good memory, you're saying? Not, not a good memory for uh, people responsible for for ensuring the uh, safety of their apps and, and, uh, and everything's patched and up to date. Uh, well, I remember that. But I wonder, I was it legit, all that fear? Like, was really the internet on fire back then? There's certainly a lot of uh, mainstream and plenty of corners of the internet uh, touched by this. But uh, we're going to find out today how, how things really were and how things have shaped up since. Um, and we, we have, actually, this is, is going to be a two-part session, Marco, which I'm really cool uh, to, to do with our friends at Imperva. And uh, we the, the first part of the series is with Gabby Staple. And uh, we're going to get into some, some research she and the team have done. And then we're going to go on, uh, continue the conversation in the second, second round with Peter Klimek. And uh, he'll, he'll hopefully correct my pronunciation of his name when he, when he comes on at some point. Um, but we're going to, we're going to take a stroll back in memory lane. We're going to look at the river of what is known as the internet and how how log4j <laughs> kind of messed with messed with app dev and devops and devsecops let, let, let's else. let's see what's the metaphor Sean let's see if that log actually <laughs> created a dam and now it's floating still all over the places of just like flowing to the water in the ocean are we going to bring uh, security beavers into the into the security well? beavers yeah well, never know no right That's now we're thing. not we're not bringing that i think now it's time to introduce uh, our uh, our guest as you yes. already kind of pre-tease uh, on that one. He's been but, sitting uh, by patiently uh, as we tell our stupid jokes. Watching <laughs> the water go by. That's right, Gabby. <laughs> it's great to have you on. Thank you, Sean and Marco. I love the log reference. This is a great idea. Security beavers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. We, we chew our way through patches. Um, sure. So, Gabby, before we get into... Uh, all the all the nuts and bolts of what happened. Uh, tell us about your role at Imperva and some of the things you do related to this and, and otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Gabby. I am the content manager for Imperva's threat research team. So I work really closely with the security teams and the analysts and uh, those who are doing the hands-on research um, and work with them to figure out what's going on and, and get that out to the public. And that's an easy job, I'm sure. Not much okay. going on to <laughs> report on. <laughs> you know. <laughs> In the world of security. Never, never. No, no. All right. So let's uh, let's reel back uh, the, the film a bit. And I don't know, when, when was the event? What is it? 
a specific moment in time? Was it a period of days or weeks that, that things kind of came to fruition for, for Log4j? Give us the, give us the backstory there. Yeah, so December 2021 um, was when all of this really reached ahead, um, and it was a huge deal. I mean, you talk about it, uh, you know, setting the internet on fire and whether or not it was overhyped. I mean, it definitely lived up to the hype um, in the days immediately following its its release and its exposure into the internet. Um, back in December of 2021, we saw we saw really huge attack numbers when it hit the news. And within three days, we were seeing about five and a half million attacks per day. Um, and at its peak, about 25,000 sites attacked per hour, which is huge numbers. Um, yeah. So clearly a lot of sites attacked. Um, yeah. Any info on whether the attackers knew which sites were vulnerable? I mean, we can we can all turn to Shodan <laughs> to see who's running <laughs> what for most things. But how how well informed were the adversaries in this in this respect? Yeah. So originally, we saw early on in this attack, we saw um, a lot of scanning and and checking to see which is vulnerable. Those sort of attacks, um, and then really quickly, I mean, this was automated, and we saw that based on the combination of the volume of attacks and the distribution of web clients that we were seeing, that this was automated really quickly and attack tools were created to make it easy for attackers to reach as many targets as possible within just a couple days of it being launched. So then, but was this, ahead, uh, sorry, Sean, I, I'm curious because it was is this like something that somehow could have been expected? I mean, was it like lingering? Was it like some signals that something was gonna go on or was it just like, uh, just exploded all, all at once? Yeah, I mean, it pretty much just exploded. I mean, obviously with open source software um, and I mean, anything really, there's always the chance that there could be some critical vulnerability in there. Um, and just as soon as this was, uh, was released and as soon as there was a POC created, I mean, people were really quick to jump on this and, and use this as an attack vector. So open source software, I, I presume anybody who had to deal with this already knows what what's involved, but... Uh, for, for those maybe who are using open source software and maybe something that's leveraging uh, the, this bit of code uh, that didn't have to deal with it back then, what's, um, what's the likelihood of them actually using something that's vulnerable at this point? I mean, remediation is is super hard with uh, with Log4j, um, and that's something that Peter's going to talk about more. But there was a study in October that showed that at that point, seventy two percent of organizations still had some level of vulnerability to Log4j, just because of the depth that this hit, and I mean how how prevalent Java is and how prevalent this was. Um, so I mean, <laughs> whether or not that they've dealt with it at that point, it's uh, pretty easy to say that everyone's going to have to figure something out to deal with log4j at some point just because of the prevalence and the vulnerability how about the news I get, before we go more into yeah. the detail <laughs> you know because sometimes i feel like it gets in the news and it gets worse instead of getting better <laughs> especially when it's a cyber attack because i almost feel like do you want to just keep it you know, quiet <laughs> while we resolve this issue, if we can, or as much as we can resolve this issue. So, how how do you feel like the the, the news responded to this in a in a professional way? Were they interviewing the right people? Were they creating more problems than what it really in the end? Uh, could yeah, have been? well, I think that the awareness is, that was created around this vulnerability 
um, and the public campaigns that were that were used. I mean, I think that really helped because people were aware of the threat that was out there. And, and rather than this sliding under the radar, people were really quick to jump on it and to do what they needed to do to defend their systems. And look, before we get into some of the mitigation opportunities, if you will, I'll call them opportunities, uh, what were some of the impacts that were possible? What Describe the, the scenario of a vulnerable log4j component is scanned and identified by a yeah. bad actor, and then what? what what's the impact yeah. of the business? So we saw a couple different kinds of, um, of payloads in these attacks. Uh, one of them was probing, obviously, just checking to see if, if the application was vulnerable and, and seeing what they could do with it. Um, reverse shells uh, and then malware deployment, those were a big one. And then a really interesting one that we saw actually was was patching via payload. So it was definitely a non-standard way to patch these systems, but um, running Java code in these payloads that change the configuration and disallowing lookups. So people were figuring out how to patch the log4j, log4j vulnerability with log4j payloads, which obviously was not uh, you know, the preferred way of patching or anything like that, but it, it was a really unique and interesting way that people were figuring out how to solve this problem. So applications obviously live in a different world than, say, a, a database. Right? Yeah. Hopefully the database isn't exposed like an application is to the internet. Um, does that include all applications? Or I'm just wondering, are there systems that are vulnerable that aren't exposed externally, but that may be exposed internally to bad actors? You know, insider threats are, are an issue as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anything that's running this uh, this log4j um, version of Java lookup, I mean, could theoretically be exposed um, or vulnerable to log4shell if it's not properly patched and mitigated. Are there any other noticeable trends surrounding this? So you mentioned uh, some of the some of the payloads. Did you see a spike yeah. in before or after events? Absolutely. So some of the really interesting things to me. One, you mentioned spikes. Um, in December of 2022, so a year after, and I mentioned early on that there was there was these huge numbers, and then by March of 2022, it had kind of fell to about 500,000 requests per day, so about half a million, and that's pretty much what it's it's stayed at. And then in December of 2022, we saw these huge spikes again, which is kind of funny because it almost seems like attackers were celebrating the one year anniversary of Log4j by by um, going and trying to use it again. Um, but yeah, so there was some huge spikes in December of 2022, a year later. Um, and then some other interesting things that, that really stood out to me were that even though Log4j was this huge attack, within three months of release, so by March, attacks were down to about half a million a day. And that was actually one-sixth of the attack requests numbers of Shellshock, which is a vulnerability that's almost a decade old. So even though Log4j was much newer, by the time the, the newness and the popularity sort of waned off and because of these public campaigns and awareness, it was, uh, they, were, they weren't as able to use it. And so they were falling back on tried and true attack methods. So looking back now, um, could have been handled differently? Is it going to help what happened with all the, the problem that came with it? Are we learning as, as an industry, as professional, as, and as businesses? And I know we'll go more into the business part later, yeah. but you as a researcher, I mean, I'm sure you've been monitoring 
what has yeah. been going on. So what, what's, what's the expectation now? Yeah, I mean, Log4j definitely taught us a lot about the impact of supply chain security um, and definitely how hard vulnerabilities can be to truly mitigate at the end of the day. Um, and so I think that it's it's been a really good case study and, and we've definitely learned a lot from it. Um, and I think it'll help us when things like this come down the pipe again, because obviously vulnerabilities are always going to be out there and it's always going to be something that we're going to have to deal with. But I think this has been a good example of of how to respond, um, especially in the in the news and in the public. And um, Peter will get into more of that, I'm sure. But but I think it's been a really good case study and a good example of, of how to react um, and will help us do things faster next time. And did, did something follow on the dark side because of that? So somebody is like, hey, if we can do this, maybe we can do that. So uh, any new problem, but connected and any new vulnerability connected to that one? Yeah, not that I've seen. So nothing seen there, but I'm, I'm wondering how customers uh, might look for things. So as a researcher, you, you have the luxury of seeing a lot of things from a lot of sensors from a lot yeah. of places to kind of tip you off. I'm wondering, are there anything in any triggers that organizations might look for, for signs of, of bad activity or un unusual activity that, that maybe is specific to log 4 J that, uh, that could tip them off or something else that might happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if this is necessarily log 4 J specific, but, but one of the big things that, that I've also seen from log 4 J is that, I mean, anything that's web application can also impact APIs as well. And so API security is a big one for log 4 J also, because, we saw about 15% of the total attacks that we were seeing um, were targeting APIs as well. And so I think that APIs are, are sort of easy to, um, can, to turn into you know, shadow APIs or to be forgotten in the, in the total cycle, but, but it's super important to protect those as well and to not forget that anything out there in the security atmosphere like Log4j, like these big vulnerabilities that drop can also target your APIs as well, and not to let that be a an access vector for attackers. And in terms of selecting APIs and using open source code, I'm just wondering, are there any, any tips or tricks <laughs> we should be looking at as we're building these things? Just making sure that they're, that they're monitored and that they're maintained. Um, I mean, uh, Obviously, when they when they sort of fall off the wayside and and aren't kept up, um, they can turn into shadow APIs and then they can be forgotten, and that's a huge, a huge security issue. So just making sure that you have the proper documentation and and you're checking on things like that. I'm curious what other what other research uh, and and data you that is interesting to app developers, ops folks, maybe maybe those two groups specifically let's leave let's leave security out of it for a moment um what are some things that you're seeing that those two groups really should be aware of so i can speak to like the log4j data that i've that i've seen um so like i said we're seeing about half a million attack requests per day and about 7% of those are successful or would be successful um, twelve percent of all CVE requests total since December twenty one are log four J related, so it's it's taking up a big share of the the CVE attack market. Obviously, um, we've seen attacks primarily on sites based in the U.S., Spain, and the U.K. 
um, although it's targeting obviously all over the world, but those were the biggest numbers that we've seen. And then financial, business, and computing industries were the top three targets. And in API specifically, financial, the financial industry accounted for almost 50% of the APIs that were under attack. So that's a big target for this log4j. Um, and then the biggest clients that we've seen, 75% of attacks come from either bots or Chrome. That's interesting. Um, so a lot of, you mentioned it earlier, a lot of, a lot of yeah. automated attacks. Yeah. And, and, and this is an interesting point, I think, because you said around three quarters of instances aren't patched, right? Only, only 25% have patched or something like that. 75% or some, some 70s. Yeah. As of this, un- this study in October, 72% of organizations still had some sort of, some sort of vulnerability. Right. So we, so we, yeah. as an industry and as a, as a professional practitioner in security, haven't figured out a way to automate patching, right? That's what that says. Yet the, uh, the bad actors have found a way to automate yeah. attacks. Yeah, it's definitely hard. Yeah. So how, I don't know, are there, obviously Imperva does uh, some really good things, which we'll talk with Peter about, I suspect, yeah. on how to how to protect against this, um, even without patching, uh, to kind of eliminate the need to automate patching altogether, perhaps. <laughs> but um, how how do you suggest, as an industry, we get ahead of ahead of this? Gosh, I mean, it's definitely hard. I mean, the the study showed that these those organizations, the seventy two percent that were still vulnerable, they'd pretty much all been been mitigated at some point. And then it's just as you're downloading new assets and as you're incorporating new things into your structure, there's some level of vulnerability that's going to be included in that. So, I mean, obviously Peter's going to talk more about this, but but documentation and and just making sure that you are, you're really up on remediation and you're really checking the new things that you're adding as well, because you can be completely remediated, but if you add something that has some level of vulnerability, then you've ruined that whole system. So just making sure that you're, you're checking these things and you're documenting them. So if you had to summarize what the, the overall impact of this instance, and then the, the, I'm going to call it the birthday one, <laughs> the one that came, <laughs> the wave that came after, uh, you know, like, comparing what happened at the time and the fact that yeah. it somehow is still going on, a lot of unpatched situation. Uh, I mean, how would you summarize this? Like, what's the lesson learned from from all of these? Uh, you, you mentioned there are many lessons that we have, we have learned from this, but can you give me some example of how actually Imperva has implemented some of this solution? And, and overall, you know, what's your feeling as a researcher? Uh, what, what's to come? Yeah, I mean, Log4j, like I said, definitely taught us a lot about the impact of this supply chain security issue. Um, and I think that the public awareness that was created around this, I mean, people were really quick to jump on the problem, and even if it wasn't a lasting solution, because like I said, as you're incorporating new assets, sometimes that can that can break remediation, but, but people were really quick to jump on it, um, and Imperva included, uh, and creating solutions really early on and making sure that those were available and out there, that's really important. Um, and I think there's a couple things to learn from it. Uh, one, obviously Peter's gonna talk more about this, but remediation is not a one and done solution. Like I said, 
Uh, Log4j was an instance where organizations would fix the problem and then it would come right back due to the prevalence of the software and how deep it went. So I just want to flag that point. And then also, like I said, API security is super important. Um, because I mean, 15% of, of the numbers were coming from the APIs. And so, and so that's, a, that's an important attack vector to be aware of and to prevent. Well, it sounds like uh, we've learned a lot. And as you were talking, all I could think about was, uh, and I hate to even say this, but boosters, <laughs> 4J <laughs> boosters. Because uh, this stuff, I mean, there's a new version of Log4J, a new version of APIs that we're using all the time. And yeah. So similar to your, it's not a one and done uh, protection solution. We need to understand that uh, new things come along as well, kind of to your point there. So yeah. uh, sounds like a, a great deal of, of information in the research that you have. And uh, hopefully, hopefully folks will, will take a look at some of the stuff you've done and, and we'll connect with you and, and the rest of the Imperva team. Absolutely. To, to understand what's what's going on with Log4j and all the other logs. <laughs> Security river. beavers out there. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. And of course, we're gonna we're gonna keep this conversation going. And in the next episode, we're gonna have a chance to, to chat with Peter, who has a different slice of I'll say research, uh, more from the from the other side of the app, right? And so so you're seeing you're seeing how. Uh, how things are being attacked and how exposed they are and how vulnerable uh, the internet is. And Peter's going to look at this from, from inside uh, to see how, how we're spotting things and shoring, shoring up the walls to, uh, to help protect these apps. Sounds like you're saying that uh, Peter, it's, uh, it's actually in the water and, <laughs> and see, things, <laughs> see things from the inside and how <laughs> and how the business are actually reacting to that and, and how Imperva is helping them. So I'm actually really grateful for uh, this conversation and, and I'm excited to hear the other, the other side of, of things. Yeah, thank you so much, Sean and Marco. Well, thank you very thank much. You. And for everybody listening, stay, uh, stay tuned for that next one and be sure to check the show notes for links to uh, Imperva and Gappy's profile and other resources that are uh, related to Log4j and, and other things, API security. We'll see you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and the story made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.